all you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 32, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. Good afternoon, everybody. I know the intro is good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. It's afternoon, it's late. Uh, in contrast to the show on Sunday, where I recorded super early, today I'm recording super late. Regardless, I hope you guys are having a fantastic week thus far. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you all are good. Thank you so much for 200 subscribers plus on YouTube. We're averaging just around 85 to 100 subscribers per month, so if we can keep that pace up, that will be fantastic for a show that just started out in January of this year. Fantastic growth. I'm really excited. It means I'm doing something right, at least 25%, 25% to 30% of the time. But I must admit, sometimes I think I put too much pressure on myself. I think overall I'm just putting too much pressure on myself and I need to relax and chill a little bit. And I don't know, maybe if I'm having an existential crisis where I'm recognizing, hey, maybe you're just being too hard on yourself or you're asking too much or you're putting too much pressure or you're overthinking. Or, you know, maybe maybe you're not happy with the way that the shows are going recently. I think I'm just putting too much pressure on myself and I just need to relax and let things come as they be. Because there's a very stark difference between being a podcaster and being a radio personality slash sports reporter like I was. And I think I'm trying too hard to shove all my prior experience in a field that is similar but not exactly alike. And... Maybe I'm trying to force too many things from my former life into what I'm doing now, or at least what I'm attempting to do. And I just need to relax. I need to take things as they go. Maybe not take so many notes. Maybe try not to be a little, try to be a little less organized to make things a little bit more free flowing, free flowing. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if this is exactly existential crisis. I'm very happy with the progress of the show so far, and I think it's a good product, but I just feel like in some places I'm not reaching the potential that I should be in those exact places, and part of it is because I have gigantic expectations for myself. I understand that I can be good, and that I was good, and then I will be good in the future, but if things are not going exactly how I want to, I have the pres- I have the, the tendency to just crank up the pressure on myself and really try too hard. So I don't know if I'm putting too much pressure on myself. I don't know if I'm trying too hard. I don't know if it's the, 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 the topics that I'm choosing to talk about. I don't know if it's the lack of topics sometimes that I'm choosing to or to not talk about. You know, part of part of that is the reason, or that's one of the reasons why maybe I feel this way is that I feel like there's not a lot to talk about right now, which is weird because there is. Uh, baseball is starting stu- uh, soon. NBA playoffs are starting soon. NFL Combine, NFL drafts coming up. March Madness is is finalizing its tournament as well. And if I could sit here and gush about how fantastic the, Mar- the March Madness tournament has been for hours upon hours upon hours, if I could just sit here and do that all day, I would absolutely. I would cover every game individually. And talk about what was good, what was bad, what happened during the show or during during the game. I could sit here and do that forever, but it's just me here. I don't have any editors. I don't have any statisticians. I don't have any producers. I don't have any researchers. It's just me, so I can't individually do that. Uh, essentially, there's no hard-headed sports content mill, and it would be very hard to produce that. But regardless of that, I don't know. I, I think we're making tremendous progress, but I still feel like that gut feeling deep inside of me that there's something that I could be doing better, where there's something that's been not necessarily wrong, but something been off with the past couple of weeks of show that I feel like I need to fix the vibe. Maybe there's a, there's a lot on my mind when it comes to the show and we're going to figure it all out together. That's part of the learning process. And I'm sure a lot of what the solution is, is just repetition, more shows, more takes, keep going. There's been people that have been doing podcasting longer than myself that know a lot more. So, you know, maybe it's unfair for me 
to compare myself to somebody like uh, uh, Zach Shomler, who does Strong Opinion Sports, who is a fantastic show, by the way. I actually draw a lot of my inspiration from him um, because I recognize his talent as a podcaster and as, a, as an analyst and as a, as a media personality. Uh, we come from a little bit different backgrounds. He obviously was a player before he did podcasters. But if you, if you uh, ever are looking for another sports uh, podcast to listen to, I would highly suggest Stronger Opinion Sports. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, maybe it's unfair to compare myself starting out just now to somebody who's been doing it for multiple years. And again, maybe I'm putting too much pressure on myself and I need to stop doing that. But I do have high standards and I need to try not to work myself too hard to death, you know, to try and reach those standards and just relax a little bit. Just take a deep breath, do the show, make sure you're getting it all in one take. You know, if you make a mistake, it's okay. It's not an exact science. I think podcasting is very forgiving, and I just need to go with the flow. So that's what I'm going to try to do over the next couple of weeks is just try to go with the flow a little bit more. Have a little bit more enthusiasm, a little bit more carefree. Try not to be so professional. Try to just be more you. Try to make sure that the show is the best that it possibly can be, but without hindering the show because you're trying too hard. And, uh, see, like, you know, right now you guys can't see it, uh, on the, on the podcast version, but my lighting is going nuts because it is, you know, 4.50 in the afternoon and that afternoon sun is coming in through my windows and my lighting is fluctuating. It's all changing in front of me, but are we going to stop the show? No, we're just going to take it as it goes and we're going to have a good time today. We're going to have a shorter show because as I said, things are weird in sports world right now. I feel like there's not a lot to talk about. We're, we're going to talk about some stuff anyway. We're going to continue our free agency grades for the NFL offseason today. We're talking about the AFC East as promised. So a lot of great moves in the AFC East during this offseason. We're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about what's in store for the next season of the NFL. The NFL announced 17 game seasons and Roger Goodell actually announced or made, made a statement that he expects full stadiums for the NFL this upcoming season. This season for the NFL, this next season rather, is going to be the quote-unquote money makeup season in the NFL. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Then we're going to head over to basketball world. Andre Drummond joining the Lakers. What this means for the West, what this means for the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis returning, hopefully for the sake of basketball. And we're also going to talk about Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant getting himself into another Twitter beef, this time with Michael Rappaport. And Kevin Durant is 32. Kevin Durant is 32, and he's still getting himself into Twitter beefs. I th That whole situation is very convoluted and crazy and full of drama, and I don't necessarily want to get necessarily too much into the drama part of it, but Kevin Durant is 32, and he's still getting himself into Twitter beefs. I'm a little mad at Kevin Durant, not because of what he said, but because he keeps putting himself in these situations when he should know better. So we're going to talk about that at the end of the show, but we are going to start the show as we have the last couple of shows with doing the NFL free agency grades for every NFL team in for every NFL team in the NFL. We're, today we're going to be doing the AFC East and we're going to start in Buffalo with the Buffalo Bills, who get an A-. I'm going to start giving giving the grades at the very beginning uh, instead of just rambling and then giving a grade and then moving on. I think that's probably the better way to do it. So the Buffalo Bills get an A- for their offseason, and here is why. The Bills' offseason was about preserving the team that got to the AFC Championship game, right? That's, that's the logic that you would take going into the offseason. And the Bills were really, really successful in retaining the players that they needed to this offseason season 
They re-signed Matt Milano, Darren Williams, and John Feliciano. Those were their three biggest free agents. And I was under the impression that they weren't going to be able to get all of them. I actually think I said during the front office frenzy segment that they would either have to lose Williams or Feliciano, especially if they wanted to keep Matt Milano, which they should. Matt Milano is the key, the heart and soul of that Bill's defense. I didn't think they were going to be able to keep all three, but they ended up keeping all three. So a fantastic win by uh, Brandon Bean, who is the general manager for the Bills. Great use of the money. He's done a very good job recently of spending where he needs to and cutting back where he needs to as well. He's done a fantastic job with the Bills. Really excited what they're doing up in Buffalo and the ability to re-sign those players that they needed to. Uh, some of them a little expensive. Specifically, Milano's contract is a little bit expensive. But again, I think he's worth every penny, especially what he means to that defense. The Bills also signed Emmanuel Sanders to replace the departing John Brown, which is a good replacement at a good price. One year, $6 million deal. John Brown was a little bit too expensive. He was a little bit outdated, especially with Diggs coming in and running the show afterwards. Uh, so good move there by Buffalo. Good, nice replacement. They also signed, or excuse me, they also lost Andre Roberts, so uh, that Emmanuel Sanders signing is even more important for the Bills. They are still a little light in the loafers when it comes to wide receiver at the moment. There's Diggs, Sanders, Cole Beasley. They're going to need that number four wide receiver, but that's easy find, easily findable, rather. In the NFL draft, they are going to have plenty of opportunities to get a quality wide receiver at some point. The Bills also signed Mitch Trubisky, which he does have the potential to be one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. It was big news when it happened. I said this at the time that it did happen. He's probably in the running for one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. And schematically, it works well with the Bills offense. He's got a similar play style to Josh Allen. Just Josh Allen is just that much better than Mitchell Trubisky is. But it's a good scheme fit. It'll do well for Mitchell Trubisky to get a mental reset. He could be very useful for Buffalo. And hopefully, you know, the, 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 the relationship is beneficial for both parties where Buffalo can help teach Trubisky and Trubisky can help be that backup that they really needed in Buffalo for Josh Allen, just in case he gets hurt. He's been pretty sturdy thus far. And, you know, the, big, the biggest loss for the Bills was was probably Quinton Jefferson. That, that sucks. But if you're Buffalo, you feel good about that defense as long as Matt Milano there, which he is. Again, the Bills get an A-minus for their free agency acquisitions. They did a fantastic job of fulfilling the positions of need that they needed, re-signing the guys that they needed. And now it's going to be up to the draft to see whether they can uh, plug more of those gaps because they really were a better start and a couple of weapons and better drives away from beating the Chiefs in that AFC Championship game. Moving on to the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins get a B- for this free agency period. I was really expecting the Dolphins to be aggressive in free agency. This would have been the time to go after some big names if there ever was a big time to go after some big names. I think, you know, the rea based on their most recent moves, they've always believed in Tua, but the speculation was all that, okay, they're going to spend all that free agency money on Deshaun Watson, and I was never really convinced that that was going to happen, but even still... You had about $30 million in cap space if you're Miami. And this is the time to go after free agents because if, if, if any Miami fans can really attest that the culture has always been the problem in Miami. And it's been very difficult at times to get free agencies into Miami. And that kind of goes against the norm when you think about what people want in Miami. It's warm. It's Miami. Uh, it, the culture just has not been very healthy, and it's been hard to get free agents to go here without an exorbitant asking price, which the name that immediately comes to mind is Indama Kung Su when he signed for $118 million, which was a massive overpay, well, looking back on it, but still, 
you know, you have got $30 million in cap space, multiple first-round picks, and the culture change under Brian Flores has been widely praised across, across the league. So a 10-6 team going into the offseason, you could attract some big names to come to Miami, and it just didn't happen. It just did not happen. And instead, Miami released Kyle Van Noy, a move that still baffles me. They got his replacement in a trade with Houston, which uh, been Derek McKinney, which is a fine player at a cheaper price, but Van Noy was a big part of the culture of that defense. And, you know, apart from those types of moves, the Dolphins free agency ended up being about adding quality depth pieces, including uh, Jacoby Brissett to replace Ryan Fitzpatrick, adding Justin Coleman, cornerback from Detroit, um, Adam Butler, defensive tackle coming in from New England. You know, they added a lot of depth pieces, but they didn't go and spend on that big name that they could have gotten and they could have tracked it to Miami considering how good the team has been or how good the team was last year and how that quick turnaround Looks like they're positioning themselves to be a playoff contender for years to come. Uh, their best signing was probably Will Fuller uh, because the Dolphins desperately needed wide receiver help for Tua. And when healthy, Fuller is one of the best deep th threats in the league. So it's a one-year, $10 million signing. It's going to be very beneficial for Miami if it ends up working out and Fuller stays healthy. But to say that that's their best signing is a little bit disappointing. It seems like the Dolphins are really relying upon the draft to continue to add some key pieces, which is fine, you know, as long as you draft well, which they have recently. But still, I think the Dolphins could have gotten more this offseason but reluctant not to. That's why they're getting a B minus. They did get some good signings, some good depth additions, but they could have gone big. They could have really gone in on one of the few times that Miami has been a very attractive destination in the NFL, and they've seemingly kind of blew it this offseason. Now down to the New York Jets. The New York Jets get an A, and you would never have thought that I would said, say that. The New York Jets get an A for their free agency this offseason. Now, don't look now, but the Jets are, are building a really good team in New York. There were some really good signings by the Jets this offseason, highlighted by Carl Lawson from the Bengals. He's an easy top 20 pass rusher when he's healthy, and, and he will give the Jets some pass rush that's been missing for a long time. Uh, Anderson was a bust in New York. He obviously was let go and picked up by New England. Um, the Jets are finally going to have some pass rush that's coming from someplace other than their defensive tackle in Quinton Williams, which is a very weird place to be getting pass rush from. Um, the Jets also signed Corey Davis, former, former number five overall pick, and not as good as his draft slot would indicate, but still a good number two slash borderline number one wide receiver. Jets also signed Keelan Cole, a good number two, number three receiver at a cheap price from Jacksonville. Jets were also able to keep Marcus May, who was the best safety on the market. It's about the time. It's about time the Jets were able to hold on to a safety. Cough, cough, Jamal Adams. But I digress. The Jets also picked up Lamarcus Joyner on a one-year flyer. He's a good ticket for the Jets to take a chance on. He's been really good in the past, but struggled last year in Las Vegas. The Jets got some really good signings, and now all they need to do is figure out the quarterback, which very well could be Zach Wilson. So. If it's Zach Wilson, that's an exciting young offense in New York. The Jets get an A for their free agency this offseason. And last but not least, we've got the New England Patriots who get a B for this free agency offseason. The, the Patriots were probably the biggest story of the season's free agency. They spent more guaranteed money than any team has done in one offseason in NFL history, and that's more guaranteed money, by the way. But kind of like the Texans from the last show, quantity doesn't always mean quality, and while they're absolutely much better players in the New England dra uh, draft class and the New England free agency class than the Texans free agency class, some of that money's absolutely going to backfire. Uh, first and foremost... 
the headliners, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, are two signings that point to the return of Belichick's two-tight end system, which they haven't been able to run effectively since Gronkowski and uh, Aaron Hernandez. Realistically, you probably could have gotten away with just signing one of those two guys, but Bill doubled down. I don't necessarily think it was the best move to double down. I would have just taken Smith, but to each their own. This is the most now the most expensive tight end duo in the entire league, and it's not close. Um I think Bill probably could have gotten away with just signing Johnny Smith and leaving Hunter Henry to somebody else, but Bill is very stuck in his ways, I guess, or maybe that's not the right way to put it, but he's very stubborn. He wants that two tight end system with two very deadly tight ends, and Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith could very well be the next iteration of Gronkowski and Hernandez. Maybe not as good, but the idea is still necessarily uh, is still the same. Uh, then Matthew Judon is signing um, for a, a huge sum of money. That The Matthew jo- Judon signing is a signing like Bud Dupree heading from Pittsburgh to Tennessee that I'm kind of unsure about. I think Judon is a bit overrated, but that money might be well spent since Van Noy has signed with the Patriots at a cheaper price. So the linebacker core is relatively set for New England, and especially with Theatric Wise Jr. getting re-signed, the pass rush for New England is going to be above average to really, really good. Uh, obviously, the signing of Nelson Aguilar is pretty big for New England as well. No matter what quarterback is there, Aguilar is an experienced receiver, great route runner. Uh, he has the most deep touchdown. I don't know necessarily how to communicate that. He has the most touchdowns of what 20 plus yards or more besides Tyreek Hill. He's, he's the second most efficient deep pass touchdown catcher. That, that was horrible explanation, but hopefully he gets the idea across. So really important signing there. Jalen Mills can come in and be a starter at the safety slot, especially after Patrick Chung retired. And lastly, the Patriots reshuffled their offensive line, uh, brought in, brought back rather Trent Brown from, uh, Las Vegas. The Patriots spent a lot of money and some of it will definitely backfire. I don't think that all the money tied up on the tight ends was necessarily a good idea, but uh, Judon also that signing is overrated. I think the Patriots are no longer a team that can really benefit on Belichick's genius to plug in the serious cracks in the team. So despite having a lot of quantity and a good portion of quality signings, some of them are a little bit risky, spending a little bit too much money in some places. And that's why the Patriots just get a B for this free agency up here. So now we've completely wiped out the AFC. We're going to start covering the NFC next during the next show, whenever that is. Uh, I don't know where exactly where we'll start. Maybe we start with the NFC East. I know a lot of you watching the show are NFC East fans or are a fan of one of the teams in, in the NFC East. So we will see where we go from there. But that was the AFC East free agency grades for the 2021 offseason. You know, I I was going to talk about the new NFL collective bargaining agreement news, the 17-game season, we'll get, and we'll get to that eventually, but I kind of want to skip forward ahead in the show a little bit and talk about this Kevin Durant-Michael Rappaport beef as the lighting is changing on set. The the light is coming through this window, lots of, lots of natural light, so I'm sure I'm getting washed out a little bit. Hey, maybe it looks good. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it looked more like a human being. <laughs> um but there's this, there's been this Twitter beef with that's been developing between Kevin Durant and Michael Rappaport over the past 24 hours. And originally, when I heard this news, I'm, I heard the name Rappaport, and I said, "Oh, that's a that's an ESPN reporter." You know what what did what did Rappaport say, or what did Kevin Durant say? And I said, "Wait a minute. Well, Rappaport's an NFL guy, and Kevin Durant's a basketball player, so that's not right." And I look it up, and it's like, oh, okay, it's Michael Rappaport. And apparently Michael Rappaport, I had heard the name before, but I didn't actually know who he was. Apparently he's an actor slash comedian slash 
um, media personality slash celebrity crotch writer slash whatever. He, he's a media personality, I guess. And supposedly him and Kevin Durant were friends. Apparently Rappaport is, is friends with a lot of athletes. And I say friends, I, like, I don't, I don't think they hang out. Like, I don't think they're inviting each other over, over for Taco Tuesday and movie night. You know, they're friends in the media sense. They're, they're cordial. They're acquaintances. And apparently, you know, this beef started when Rappaport made a tweet about Kevin Durant, or rather, uh, uh, made a tweet about an interview that Kevin Durant did earlier in December, where he gave a bunch of non-answers and a bunch of short, you know, answers to Charles Barkley's questions, and he got a little bit of some media flack for that. And that's essentially when the beef started, and Rappaport basically said in the tweet, like, look, dude, Kevin, if you're not going to do the interview in a, in a correct way, just don't do the interview at all. And Kevin Durant took issue with this. And Michael Rappaport released a flurry of screenshots in which Kevin Durant went absolutely beast mode. Absolutely beast mode on Rappaport, saying a bunch of not-so-nice, naughty words that are unrepeatable on a PG sports podcast. Ranging from some, some racial stuff in terms of skin color, ranging from sexual insults to eventually developing into insults about... Uh, Rappaport's lawyer team and his wife eventually. And, 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 and the comments about his wife are supposedly what set Rappaport off. And to be truthful, I'm not taking sides in this. I think both parties are wrong. First of all, Rappaport's a, hum- a humongous jerk for releasing private screenshots. But on the other hand, I think I'm more upset with Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant is 32. Now, his age isn't the sole reason as to why I'm kind of frustrated with Kevin Durant. But Kevin Durant has never been good a good media person. He's never been one to play nice with the media. He's never been somebody to always be willing to talk personally with the media. The media and the Kevin Durant have not gotten along. And that's the way that he's been forever, as long as he's been in the league. And you and I both remember how Kevin Durant had fights with the media. He doesn't like the media. He had a he had a burner Twitter account in which he responded to fans on social media defending himself, defending his play style and everything. A lot of childish, immature things that Kevin Durant has done in the past to make him receive the label as one of the thinnest skinned players or one of the thinnest skinned athletes in the world. When you talk about Kevin Durant, once you get past his incredible athleticism, his basketball prowess, how he's one of the best basketball players to ever play the game, what do you think about Kevin Durant? Oh, he's a little immature. He's not a good media personality. He's not a good media person. He's a little immature. He's thin-skinned. He cares about what you think. He's self-conscious. And... That's that's what we think about Kevin Durant when we think about his personality. Nobody mentions all his anthropology work. Nobody mentions how much he's donated. Nobody mentions, you know, the relationship that he has with his mother and how awesome that is. Nobody mentions some of the good things about Kevin Durant. A lot of it is, well, Katie's kind of a drama queen. Katie is very insensitive. So, with all of that being said, it frustrates me that Kevin Durant, for the majority of his career, has had that narrative around him. Oh, Katie's insensitive. He's a drama queen. He's had that narrative around him, and he continues to put himself in situations where even if that were not true, you cannot dispute it. You know? Why 
If you're Kevin Durant, would you be trash talking somebody in your in the private DMs like this? I look, I understand you got offended by what Rappaport said. By all accounts and all the research I've done, Rappaport's kind of a chotch. He's not a nice person necessarily. He's a comedian. He gets under people's feathers and then he hides behind his legal team. That's that's kind of the the perception that I have of Rappaport. So Rappaport's not necessarily a nice guy, but if you're Kevin Durant, you have to know better. You know, you have to know better at some point that if you're going to go after somebody like this, and especially if you're going to take it as far to go after somebody's wife, that there's going to be repercussions and things are going to get exposed. Now, I'm not saying that this would have happened, you know, this amount of times out of 10, but the fact that it did happen and we again see that Kevin Durant is kind of insecure because the reality is, is that even though it was wrong for Rappaport to kind of call Kevin Durant out on doing an interview when supposedly they're friends, he took it a little bit too personally. And if you actually read some of these direct messages that Kevin Durant and Rappaport sent back and forth, Kevin Durant was calling him out for his skin color, asking him to fight. He actually gave a location and a time to go fight Rappaport. I mean, it's childish. It's childish. You know, and, that, and it feels like we were just kind of getting away from that narrative of Kevin Durant being kind of insecure. You know how LeBron was once upon a time viewed as being this insecure kind of drama queen type player? You know, he made a lot of bad decisions, and LeBron will fully admit this. He made a lot of bad decisions before he went to Miami, and the way that he went to Miami, he he, he says he kind of regrets. But LeBron James has developed into that, that mature man. Who, you know, who is very respectable. He's probably the most respectable and widely liked athlete in America, I would argue. Very recognizable. Mostly liked, obviously. There were some comments on my Ibrahimovic versus LeBron video that, you know, say otherwise. But regardless of that, you would think that Kevin Durant would have that same type of glow up where he recognized how immature he was in the past. And how he sh- he should probably change how he does things, and it's just no. Kevin Durant is 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 fighting with people in Twitter DMs. He again proves to be very immature, and it's like Kevin Durant is thirty two. He is a fully grown man, and he still is acting this way. And that's why I'm kind of upset with Kevin Durant. It's like you know that this is your the perception about you, and if you really care about your perception in the media that much, if you really care what people think about you that much, you would you would stop putting yourselves in situation like this, in which you could either a get exposed for being insecure, or b getting into fights with people and even proving furthermore that you are in fact insecure. That's what that's what bothers me about this. Again, I, I think both of them are wrong. I'm not trying to choose sides here. I'm not saying Rapport was right. I'm not saying Kevin Durant was right. I think they're both wrong in the situation. It's stupid on a couple of levels for both parties involved. It's stupid Twitter drama. It's a stupid beef. But for Kevin Durant, it means more because of the narrative that was already surrounding him. He already had the narrative of being insecure. He already had the narrative of being thin-skinned. He already wasn't a good person to deal with with in the media and all of this is doing is reinforcing what everybody already thought. And it seems like, as I said, he was just pulling away from that narrative. <laughs> Kyrie was the basket case on the nets for, for the longest time. And now, you know, it's looking like it's Kevin Durant again. You know, we were just pulling away from that. Oh, Kevin Durant is insecure kind of narrative that the media has had about Kevin Durant for the past, I don't know, five or six years. And now it's just like, well, you are, who you are behind closed doors and behind closed doors. He still appears to be very sensitive and it's sad because I hate, 
putting Kevin Durant. I hate, I hate Kevin Durant putting himself in a position like this because we should be talking about all the things that good that Kevin Durant does, all the anthropology work. But instead, after his basketball prowess and after his fantastic athleticism and after everybody acknowledging he's one of the best ever play of the game, what comes next? It's not his charity work. It's oh man, Kevin Durant had a burner account on Twitter when he was defending himself. Oh, Kevin Durant doesn't do good interviews. Oh, Kevin Durant is fighting with celebrities in DMs on social media because they said he did a bad interview. I digress. I hope that was I hope that wasn't as concise. I kind of just I wasn't planning on doing this segment first, but this this is this in particular has been on my mind. I'm really disappointed in Kevin Durant for him continuing to put himself in these types of situations and I guess moral of the story is Kevin Durant is sensitive, surprise, surprise, and Michael Rappaport is a ginormous chotch. But moving on and moving forward, I hope that was an organized thought for you all. Now we can probably talk about the collective bargaining agreement (laughs) for the NFL. Uh, the, The NFL announced the new collective bargaining agreement between the NFL and the NFL Players Association. Some changes were in there, like uh, additional money for rookie contracts, et cetera, et cetera. But the one big headliner, and this is the reason that you would be clicking on the video, or this is the one reason that you would be listening to to the podcast for this anyway, the big headliner was 17-game NFL seasons. The, the, the NFL is taking away a preseason game, and it's putting that on the back end of the season, and now there's going to be 18 weeks in the NFL season, and some players are not so happy about it. And it's further validation to me that NFL players are really anybody in general. We can't we can't generalize and just say NFL players because we all do this. But it's further validation to me that nobody reads the terms and conditions to anything anymore. You know, we've all been there. We're on a website or we're on our iPhone and we're you know reading through the iTunes terms and conditions and we're scrolling through and we're saying, yep, 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 understand, sure, selling my soul away, yep, okay, continue. All right, I'm just going to keep pressing continue until it just completely stops and I can get to where I'm going for it. Nobody, nobody reads the terms and conditions anymore, which is why I feel like this is kind of silly for NFL players to be getting upset over a 17th uh, game in the season. And is it really that much of an addition when they're just taking away a preseason game and putting it at the end of the season and making it count? Now, sure, you can absolutely argue, well, that NFL preseason game, those starters aren't playing. That's really a, that's really a spot for, you know, third stringers and second stringers to try to compete and make the team. And, you know, that's all true. So it's not really going to impact the starters necessarily as much. It just means that they're going to have, you know, less time off in the preseason. But nobody reads the terms and conditions anymore. And I really don't think that anybody has any reason to be more upset than kind of just mildly annoyed because I'm sure that it was communicated between the uh, NFL Players Association and the players that, hey, look, there's probably going to be a 17th game. Everybody signed off on it at some point. So to be a little irritated right now, I think is silly for NFL players. I completely understand because there's, there seems to be two trains of thought. It's either, okay, this is just another game. This is another chance for me to get hurt. Or people are saying, well, now, hey, look, look at all the records I can get. I can finally go and break Michael Strahan's, you know, sack record. I can finally go and pass for 6,000 yards in a season. I can um, throw for 60 touchdowns. I can rush for this amount of yards. And obviously, you know, the chance to get new records or for records to be broken, obviously this is something that hasn't changed since 1978. And it does kind of put a damper on some things. I mean, the reason that O.J. Simpson's 2,000-yard rushing season was so incredible at the time is that it was done in 
one season or excuse me, one season of 14 games. So sure. It kind of screws over record holders. It kind of skews things a little bit, which is a little bit disappointing, but the reality is, is that this was going to happen eventually. Anyways, there was going to be a 17th game hell in 20 to 30 years. There'll probably an 18th game in the NFL, but there is some valid criticism. There is some valid reason for concern. Obviously you don't want to get hurt. I'm very interested to see what load management is like in the NFL. Now load management in the NFL is a little bit curious because the, the, the way that load management works in the NFL is it's very much a week 17 season type of thing. Like it's like, okay, it's the 17th week. We're going into the playoffs. Let's rest everybody. Make sure that we have everybody as healthy as possible for a playoff run. And if you're, you're, um, a team that's not going to playoffs, well, there's draft position, there's pride on the line, there's people fighting for their jobs. So even then, load management is kind of a, it's got a repressed role in the NFL. Now with an additional game, is load management going to act more like it does in the NBA, in which star players start taking games off? Should there be an extra bye week? Should there be, you know, more practices and protocols in place to make sure that players don't get hurt. That's something that really interests me, interests me. And I'm curious to see whether the NFL develops a type of NBA esque load management. Now I hate load, load management in the NBA, but I think it's a little bit different in football, considering that football players more than often tend to play through their injuries. I think it's, it's, I don't know if it would be so out there to say that NFL players play through more injuries than any other sport in the NFL, it's such a heavy contact sport that you're probably going to get dinged up and bruised somewhere along the way. So it's interesting to see how that develops over time, but the 17 game season and the reason it's being implemented this season for me, it purely points towards the fact that this season more than anything else for the NFL is a money-making season. This is the money makeup year for the NFL. And it also further validates my opinion of that with Roger Roger Goodell, commissioner, obviously, saying that he expects full stadiums this season for the NFL. Now, and that's assuming that there isn't a new wave of virus that wipes out the entirety of humanity, forbid, uh, whoever, whatever entity is up there, whoever, whatever entity is up there forbidding that <laughs> there's another wave of virus that wipes out the planet. Very, very happy topics on the podcast today but regardless of that um you know assuming that there's not another worldwide pandemic he expects full stadiums to be there in 2021 and for Goodell and for the NFL Owners Association this is purely a money makeup year for the NFL it's like okay the salary cap depreciated we need to get back that money we need to do the TV deals we need to do the sponsorships the advertisements we need to do everything we can as a business to make up for the lost year that was last year. And that's why the, the CBA, the 17th season was being enacted this season. I feel like, and again, I don't have any insider information. So maybe that's not entirely correct, but between Goodell saying, Hey, we expect full stadiums this season. And them also saying, yeah, we're also going to tack on another game to that. It's fully about the business this year for the NFL. It's fully about making money. It's fully about getting back the money that they lost last year. It is the quote-unquote money makeup year for the NFL. Now, again, I'm really curious about how load management turns into or, or takes a role in this new season now that players are realizing that they're going to have to play an extra game. 
incredibly interesting, but this is the money makeup year for the NFL. And uh, players signed off on it. Now, granted, the new CPA passed with a very slim margin. I think, what, was 60, 61 votes? Very slim passing, but still, this is the way that it's going to be from now on. Uh, unfortunate for players. I hope players remain healthy. I hope steps are taken to better secure player safety now that there is going to be an extra game. But this is the business of the NFL, and this is the money makeup year. And that's essentially all that it is. And the last thing I want to briefly touch on today is Andre Drummond. News of Andre Drummond being bought out by the uh, the Cavaliers. Rumors were that he was going to sign with the Nets forever, and then Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin signed with the Nets, and it's just like, well, they used up they used up all of their buyout slots. I did want to briefly talk about Andre Drummond going to the Lakers before we ended the show today. What that means for the Lakers coming out of the West, obviously LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis have been hurt for a couple of weeks now. Is, is, is the addition of Andre Drummond really going to be that great for the Lakers basketball team? And I think people have the tendency to undervalue or underappreciate Andre Drummond. He's about a 20.10 rebound guy in the NFL, two-time All-Star. And he's really been undervalued because he hasn't seen the main spotlight in a long time. Obviously, he played for Detroit. Detroit has not really been a relevant basketball team since they won the championship in 04. Then he went to the Cavaliers, have not been relevant since LeBron left a second time. He's never really gotten the national spotlight, but he's been a very solid, dependable player. He's been a starting caliber player in the NBA for multiple seasons now. Two-time All-Star, as I said. This addition for the Lakers makes the Lakers really scary. Because the Lakers continue to exploit the one thing that they know that every other team in the NBA, maybe apart from the Denver Nuggets, has. And that's the fact that there is such a trend towards small ball that the the big game in the NBA is almost obsolete. And the Lakers are really the sole team left in the NBA to really utilize size and length over anything else. Anthony Davis and LeBron James, when they're both on the court together, is such a matchup nightmare. So, not only imagining that all of these three are healthy, not only are you going to have LeBron James at 6'8", running the point, you're going to have Anthony Davis 6'11", at power forward, and Drummond at 6'11", I think, almost 7 foot, at center. That that promotes, or that presents, rather, so many matchup nightmares. And sure, if you want to be direct and just go straight to the direct comparison, let's just go straight there. Comparing that to the Brooklyn Nets, yeah, the Brooklyn Nets have the outside shooting to be able to not even go into the paint, but when it comes to the perimeter defenders for the Lakers, uh, Alex Caruso, extremely good. Caldwell Pope, decent. Kuzma, decent. They they have enough defense to be able to probably stop the Nets in a seven-game series. I'm just sitting here thinking, how the hell are the Nets going to be able to defensively Stop LeBron, AD, and Andre Drummond, especially what Andre Drummond does on the offensive glass. Remember reading a stat or hearing a stat, like out of the the 12 or 15 rebounds that he averages a game, Andre Drummond, four of those are offensive rebounds. So not only is he producing, you know, lots of rebounds and points, he's producing second chances with offensive rebounds. That's extremely vital. In today's NBA, especially when a lot of shots are being 
you know, taken from three-point range, maybe not necessarily the best shot. Again, it's a small ball lineup, very three-point oriented NBA. The Lakers continue to exploit the one matchup that they know that they can continue to exploit because everybody is gravitating towards small ball. And it's it's a weird antithesis. Every everybody's going small, but the Lakers are remaining big. It's it's an extremely interesting dynamic, and really the addition of Andre Drummond makes the Lakers extremely scary. And when everybody is completely healthy, they are, in my mind, a lock to get out of the West. I think Denver is right on the heels of the Lakers. I don't think the Clippers are going to go anywhere. I think the Clippers are going to get bounced in the first or second round, to be truthful with you. I think the Jazz are overrated. The Suns are a good basketball team, but they're not going to beat anybody. I think this I think this move secures the Lakers exit out of the West. And this addition could really give the Brooklyn Nets problems, assuming that the Brooklyn Nets get out of the East like everybody else imagines that they will. <clears throat> so not only does this continue to exploit the matchup that the Lakers have been exploiting for the past two seasons or so, but this is also going to add some cushion in the meantime for the Lakers to be able to, to be able to get out of the West until LeBron and AD are back healthy. Le- Look, Andre Drummond, as I said at the very beginning, he's no scrub. He's not a scrub at all. Two-time All-Star. The reason that everybody maybe undervalues him is because he has not got that national spotlight. He's been in Detroit, which has been a dismal basketball team since 2004. And then he went to Cleveland after LeBron left, which... Let's be honest, once LeBron left Cleveland was about as interesting as a sack of, of a sack of potatoes. So Drummond has never really gotten that spotlight. He's never gotten that that you know attention and praise that he deserves. He's a fantastic basketball player. And he's gonna do wonders for that Lakers team, especially while AD and LeBron get rested. Now the Lakers have multiple starting caliber players on the bench apart from the starting lineup. The Lakers are really, really good. Lakers are really, really good. Andre Drummond only makes them better. And that's the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. You could probably hear it in my voice. I'm getting a little bit strained, so I'm going to cut everything off there. Make sure that we get the show out tonight. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon with another show. Uh, As I said, there's a lot starting soon, so maybe we're going to talk about mock drafts, start a baseball season, the end of March Madness. There's a lot to talk about moving forward, and I'm excited to share my thoughts with all of you. Thank you so much for your support. As always, this has been the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, episode number 32, hosted by me, Nick Ryan, and... With that being said, stay hard-headed, everybody, but have a nice day.